Oh my god, why am I yawning? I'm so sorry. Welcome back to Texas, Please, the podcast where we're investigating the Samwell student government for misappropriating funds to take a trip to the pumpkin patch. Today, we'll be looking at number 2.11, Junior Show, which was originally posted on September 14th, 2015. I am secret, and who's being impeached by the Council of Governors with me today? I'm Tomato, and I expect a full pardon. I expect you all to understand that I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Well, what, what happens in 2.11? Well, Biddy, adjusting his bow tie, tells his vlog audience, aka us, that the hockey team has had to clean up to attend Lardo's junior show, where they look at Lardo's paintings of naked bodies and cause a minor ruckus. They also look at some other art, too, including some hockey pads bedazzled. After Lardo thanks Shitty for helping her bedazzle at 4 a.m. and wonders aloud who will be able to help her with last-minute art projects once he leaves Samwell, Shitty gets an email telling him he's accepted into Harvard Law. The hockey team dogpiles Shitty in the middle of the art show while Lardo sneaks out the back door, wiping tears from her face. So the first note that I made was, love how the first strip we get that suggests Lardo has an inner life is actually mostly about Shitty getting into Harvard. I am really invested in Shitty and Lardo as characters, and I think that their relationship is really interesting. I think that the pacing works pretty well in the strip and that the emotional punch makes sense. And it also makes sense that it's related to graduation as the end of the year approaches. But I'm pretty frustrated that this strip uh, is about Lardo's relationship to a man and that it's the first strip to center on Lardo two years, you know, into the making of the comic. And that this strip doesn't even pass the Bechdel test, but actually like maybe the whole comic doesn't pass the Bechdel test, question mark, which is a low bar. Is there another strip that centers on Largo at all? Not in my memory, but you have a better memory than I do for each individual strip. I mean, I feel like there's the strip where Lardo is introduced that's called Lardo. But as we noted when we did that strip, it's mostly like the other characters talking about Lardo while Lardo stands there not really contributing anything. There is some involvement for Lardo when she's hanging out with Biddy in year three. And then there's a little bit of focus on her when her dibs are up for grabs and when the team is looking for a new manager. But I really don't think it would be fair to say that those strips are about Lardo. They're kind of about something else, and Lardo just happens to be, like, involved. Or she's the central figure, but not conceptually. My cat has gotten into some noisy papers, so that's what you might be hearing. Sorry, world. In terms of does this pass the Bechdel test, well, this strip certainly doesn't. There's only one woman in it. Unless you count, you know, pre-transition eventual woman Jack Zimmerman. But I don't think they speak at all. The only thing that I could call to mind that's a conversation between two women that is not specifically about a guy 
is at the end of this year, Jack's mother and Georgia Martin are both at graduation and they talk a little bit about Samwell alumni traditions. But in the middle, George says something like, oh yeah, Jack said something about that. And also, they're both only there like situationally because of Jack. So I don't know if that really counts. I do also think it's worth noting, as I think you have already noted as well, the Bechdel test is kind of like a limited framework. It's meaning is very specific and in a lot of context, not super meaningful, but it does say something in some cases. And I think in the case of this comic, what it says is there aren't a lot of characters who are female or at least not male in this comic. So it doesn't have a lot of opportunities to pass the Bechdel test. Exactly. The Bechdel test is useful primarily as a tool to get at something about women characters and like the ability of those women characters to have an inner life or whatever that does not revolve around a man. And and I would say that in this particular case, not only are there not very many women characters, but the women characters we see are all on screen as are Georgia and Jack's mother, as you point out, because of the main male characters in many ways. Like we see Lardo because she's the manager of the team. We see Biddy's mom because he's Biddy's mom. We see Alicia because she's Jack's mom. We see George because she works with Jack. We see Ford because she takes over for Lardo. So, I mean, and that makes sense because, of course, the comic is focused on these men. So it totally makes sense that the women are brought in through their relationships with these men. But in conversation, we pretty much don't ever see any of them centered. So it, it just kind of points to something about the comic. Not even necessarily a huge problem, but it does sort of suggest some of the limitations of the comic and its ability to talk about gender. And that's not to say that a comic that's primarily populated by men isn't okay, but I think what's frustrating, and I believe we noted this when we talked about Suzanne being introduced and then Lardo being introduced, is that there are female characters in the comic and they don't really have particularly rich interior lives. And for the most part, their functions in the comic are not really that important. And save for maybe Biddy's mom, none of them really have character growth. So that doesn't necessarily make this comic, you know, it's canceled level problematic. It just happens to be true and it's worth noting. Right, exactly. It's, it's okay to note this and be aware of it without overstating the case. Like, I think it's perfectly acceptable to have a comic that's about two men forming a relationship on the backdrop of a male-dominated homosocial sports environment. Like, that's a perfectly valid topic to investigate. I think it would really be resolved and wouldn't be a problem if we had the sense that the women characters, like, had 
agency and an inner life in some way. It, it doesn't have to center on them for that sense to come across. And I think that's just one of the limitations of the writing is that that's not super clear. Also, if you can hear the coyotes outside, sorry, I don't know if you can, but they're making noise. I have a coyote in my house and he's a cat and... <laughs> I don't know where he's gone off to, but I'm sure you'll hear him howling soon. Here he comes. One time I there was walking home at night and I lived near a canyon and a coyote came out of the canyon and we startled each other and we just stared at each other. And it was slightly scary because I had never encountered a coyote quite that close before because I'm from a place where that doesn't happen that often. What I would like to propose is that Jack Zimmerman would go home and cry about it afterwards. Thank you. Oh, you mean that like a coyote looked at him? Yeah, yeah, it looked at him wrong. And it was upsetting. Yeah, in my current neighborhood, so not where I am right now, but in the neighborhood where I'm like technically currently living, although I'm not there, don't worry about it. There is a fox or maybe a few foxes. It's hard to say. I'd say the place is lousy with foxes. I see them all the time, especially at night. I don't know if Jack Zimmerman would cry if a fox looked at him wrong. I'm not I think he'd be very blasé about it. I think he'd be like, oh, it's, it's just a fox. Yeah, but a coyote? I'm not sure. All right, anyway, sorry, everybody. Let's get back to this. You pointed out that Lardo says, my art friends think I'm angsty when she goes in to give her a noogie. So you asked, why not depict these friends? You know, Why not show this through the lens of Lardo's art friends encountering the hockey team? And why do you think we don't see her talking to one non-hockey team person? To a certain extent, coming up with characters is hard. Designing them is hard. Drawing is hard. And if you don't have that much space or energy or brain power, maybe coming up with irrelevant characters you don't really like bear down upon the plot isn't a good use of your time. On the other hand, this could have been accomplished very easily with a few like diverse faces in the background snickering at at Lardo and her interactions with the hockey team or whatever. It also would have been a really easy way to do some deepening of Lardo's character. Like, if you see a bunch of people who are her non-hockey friends, then you get a rounder sense of her as an individual. And you can also help develop the hockey team or individual characters from the hockey team a little more because suddenly they'll be standing in contrast to another type of person. Yeah, I also wonder whether there isn't a sense of, well, those people aren't important to the plot in any way, and i.e. the plot of Sam Wellman's hockey or the romance between Biddy and Jack, with the understanding that this is something being written and updated, you know, without the entire thing being done, so it's not like it's going back and being edited, that is not so effective of an argument because then there's so many things in this comic that have no bearing on the plot that we spend lots of time on anyway. So I wonder whether that was a concern and whether it could have been addressed in some other way. Well, what is true is that what we find out here is that Lardo's art is a gemstone-encrusted set of hockey pads and then also a painting of what I believe is 
Chitty's naked torso. And then later on, like in the next row, we see that she has painted basically just like a big penis. So this is all pretty normal and believable art for her to be shown making. But as subject matter, it's like an interesting choice for the following reasons. Number one, it's it's really not doing a very good job of building Lardo's character out beyond her babysitting the hockey team. Apparently she has this whole persona and life outside of pretty much managing the lives of these hockey players, but her art is all about the hockey players. So you're not really demonstrating like a breadth of character with her. Also, Going all the way back to the point about her being constructed as, like, a queer character in some sense, it's not that a queer woman wouldn't necessarily make art about men or about the men in her life, but if what you're trying to do is depict that a a woman character has a complicated relationship with her sexuality or her gender, then maybe showing her making art that's exclusively about like men's bodies doesn't really communicate that so clearly, at least not without a lot of context that the comic never gives. Yeah, and to me, the bits of her art that we see don't themselves seem to be pushing back or questioning in a way that necessarily indicates to me, oh, this is a queer artist, you know? And I had some further questions. So you're somebody who knows about art and I don't know anything about art. I have a couple of questions. The first is, would you be willing to talk at all about what Lardo's work might be in conversation with? Like what artistic legacy is she trying to come out of? And then my other question is, okay, so I often engage with art that other people think is really thoughtful and interesting. And I just, I might appreciate parts of it, but I do not get it. So I guess I'm curious about, like, how do you see her art artistically? Is it thoughtful? Is it clever? Is it interesting? Like, how would you assess it? Well, one thing is these are hard questions to answer for two different reasons. The first reason is because we just don't have a lot of information about her or about what she's learning in school or, like, any context, basically, about how to fit any of this in just because it's not the text of the comic and all we see is basically like what's on the page here and then a couple of extras. But also, I mean, uh, it cannot be overstated that art is subjective and what is considered good or what is considered interesting or what is considered mature or what is considered valuable and so on and so forth is just so incredibly amorphous, so incredibly personal, so incredibly contextual, and so incredibly market-driven. Things go in and out of style, and there's just so many different moving pieces to determining whether or not an artwork is good and relevant and, like, well-developed and so on and so forth, that it really is just, like, a hard question to answer, especially without any other information. Something that is kind of interesting to consider is that whether or not Lardo's art is good or if it's maybe important in some sense doesn't seem to be a concern of the comic. 
It seems as though she finds commercial success. We're told in that very late uh, Ask a Welly where she draws that penis. And I do think that maybe Ngozi does think that commercial success means something is good. But a lot of people think that. So I don't know if that's necessarily a useful position to describe the comic having. Something that's interesting about Ngozi is that she got an MFA in comics, basically, from one of the country's top art schools. And while comics are a really valid form, and surely she has some understanding of how art functions in the industry, and, and she must have taken some kind of art classes at some point that taught her more than just, you know, how to make a commercially successful webcomic. I never really see her talking about art or promoting art other than the sort of new media and comics spheres that we already know she exists in. So I'm not even totally sure where the author is coming from. She doesn't seem to blog or tweet about fine art. So that's kind of hard to say. And then I guess the context that I would bring in terms of how to personally assess art, which I spend now a lot of time basically describing as subjective, is that I guess what I want to see from art is that it's clear what the artist is trying to accomplish. And ambiguity is like a totally valid approach. So it's not even like, oh, their goal is blank. It might just be that their goal is to create ambiguity or to create confusion. And then the follow-up question to what is the goal is how well is that goal executed? But when I look at art personally, I tend to look at it on an axis of like, is it good? Is it interesting? And do I like it? And I sometimes like things that I don't necessarily think are good. I sometimes think things are interesting, even if I don't think they're good and I don't like them. I often recognize that art is really high quality and is considered good conceptually and technically, even if I'm not interested in it and I don't personally like it. So I would say that assessing artwork, at least for me, exists on a kind of matrix or maybe like a Venn diagram that is not binary in terms of good or bad, but rather complicated and shifting and it's instinctual how I react to something because art is subjective and it's meant to like prompt affect. And that's not such an easy thing to like distill. Indeed, that's kind of the point of criticism and sort of the the point of art in and of itself is that like, in some ways it's a litmus test or it's a cipher. And it, an artwork in theory can say more about the person who's looking at it than about itself or the person who made it. All of this is just to say that looking at the art that Lardo's making in this comic or in this strip in particular 
I'd say it's like completely impossible to assess what we're supposed to make of it. I don't think that we're supposed to evaluate the artwork any way other than to just intuit that like, oh, her association with the hockey team is really important to her. And we're given no other context and no other information on which to make any sort of reading or judgment about what this art is or how it fits into a broader discourse let's say. I guess the final thing I'd say in terms of both queer and feminist art specifically, obviously like there have always been queer people and women and those people have always made art so long as there's been art, those people have made art. But in terms of the social construction of those identities in particular as political alignments, how that fits into the canon of art history follows pretty much the historical trajectory. So we have an emergence of, say, like queer art as a genre or feminist art as a movement in the 1970s. Uh, that's when it really like comes to the fore kind of like properly. And I'd say it follows sort of like the trajectory of the cohesion of those attendant political movements. In terms of examples of feminist artists who make art about men or their appreciation for men or like the male body, the two that I sort of came up with just off the top of my head, you know, within 10 minutes tonight are, first of all, a woman named Sylvia Slee, who was, uh, as far as scholars were aware, basically just like a really horny cishet woman who painted, especially in like the mid-century in 1970s, a ton of very carefully and thoughtfully rendered naked men who were significantly younger than she was. And they all had this very like lush, bushy, like pubic hair and chest hair. And I once listened to a conference paper about how lovingly rendered these guys' body hair were and how it was a sign of her appreciation for virility. And then I think another sort of, I don't know, maybe comparison point for Lardo would be the painter Elizabeth Payton, who is best known for doing, you know, I don't think it has like a fandom context. So I think to call it fan art would maybe be kind of sloppy, messy, but basically she does very soft focus watercolors and gouaches of mid-90s to 2000s figures of beautiful young men like Prince William 20 years ago when he was like exceptionally beautiful or Eminem who at the time was considered very beautiful by a lot of women or Kurt Cobain, or Leonardo DiCaprio. These men are kind of rendered by Peyton as ethereally beautiful. So in some ways what Lardo is doing is treading territory other women have like already cleared and kind of making it her own by bringing in the hockey iconography. And I think that's like totally understandable because it's realistic that a young artist who's still developing and still exploring her own media and her style and her subject matter would basically like cop ideas that other people have sort of already tread almost as if to like fit herself into a larger discourse or a larger history of art making. At the same time, I guess what I'd conclude here is that it's really hard to know what she's doing without like more information about her and her context. How did she get into art? 
Why did she decide to major in it? What compels her? What does her artist statement say? What art history classes has she been in? What has she been looking at? What has she been writing about? What has she been reading? Who else is making what in her cohort? And then also, what does she go on to do after this? All of this is stuff that helps you sort of assess and put an artist's, I don't know, practice or an artist's ove into context. And because we have none of that information about Lardo, based on the four examples we see of stuff that she makes, it's just really hard to say where is she coming from and where is she going and what is the overall meaning of what we're seeing here in her broader practice. What I will say, and I promise I am almost done ranting, but you did ask for it, is that what's true about like all of the art that we see in this comic, including not just Lardo's, but also that painting of boobs and the, um, the, the sort of vagina installation that Jack crawls into, is that it is like a very keenly observed depiction of like the kind of work you'd get at a show like this at a college, which makes a lot of sense because Ngozi is at SCAD getting an MFA. And also before that at Yale, she did, I think like computational arts or something like that. So surely she's been to a lot of shows like this and she probably has a pretty good read on like what crops up there. I appreciate the edification re- art, which again, I don't know anything about. I just want to note that there's some Chowder infantilization watch. I want to point out that while Dex, Nursey, and Chowder are looking at the painting, sort of like areolas and nipples like floating in a flat expanse. At one point, Nursey says, you should know what they look like. You know, aren't you dating somebody? And Chowder says, Nursey, don't talk about my girlfriend's stuff. And uh, the only thing I've got to say is, uh, Jesus Christ, are you old enough to have a girlfriend if you say your girlfriend's stuff? I don't know, but I feel dubious about the whole thing. I mean, I won't judge him for saying it because I do think it's like, well, his guy friends are kind of like putting him on the spot. And also this is like kind of a new relationship. And also like he is only 18. At the same time... I think the reason why we uh, started kind of joking around about Chowder and Fantalization Watch is because, yeah, I mean, he, he is treated as if he is like really young or maybe like a little too young or like a little naive or something within the comic. So it's not just this comment about his girlfriend's boobs, Caitlin Farmer. He also shows up wearing like a shark's hoodie. And then Biddy has to lend him a blazer to make him look like socially acceptable to go to the event. Everybody else is wearing suits and he is dressed like he's 12 and going to a Sharks game. Everybody else intuited like what kind of clothes to wear and he couldn't figure it out. Not that you can't love something deeply and want to wear things from it all the time or whatever, but the way that Chowder's love of the Sharks is omnipresent is part of the infantilization too, right? Because it's like he can't like things in a sophisticated way or something. So yeah, this is more evidence of the fact that he's being constructed as cute in a naive, overly infantilized way within the text. Yeah, and of course he is only 18 and and it's also that um, stuff is written in very small letters. So it's like he's embarrassed to even say it. So it's it's just a continuation of this 
larger argument that I think you started constructing about how this character is portrayed from canon and on. Something that I want to note here is that the fact that Shitty gets into Harvard and then, like, even the fact that he ends up going there for law school is also actually kind of meaningless and, like, impacts nothing. I think there is the potential for an interesting B-plot or background or character arc about Shitty trying to decide who he is and what he wants to do and like how he sees himself and how he manages his family legacy and all this other stuff. But none of it is actually ever dealt with in the comic. And the fact that he gets into law school and then goes to law school, nothing comes of that in terms of like the plot or anything like that. So if you removed this entire comic from the strip again what indeed would you lose like a couple of fond looks from jack and biddy at each other and this one very dramatic moment that just kind of like is never followed up on i think the only logistical impact it has is that he's still around massachusetts area so he you know can come visit that's truly the only thing and even that doesn't happen that often first of all there's many 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 colleges that have law schools like within you know an hour trip so it's not the fact that it's harvard is important the fact that it's law school is important it feels like it's gesturing i mean as you said this the reason that it's harvard and the reason that it's law school is important is because both of those things point to Shitty accepting something about the expectations set for him by his family. But because it's never explored, it just ends up as this sort of gesture without any substance behind it. And that's common in this comic where there's a pointing to something rather than an elaboration of something. I also wanted to just point out that Lardo leaving at the end is also something that has no emotional consequence whatsoever. Biddy sees Lardo leave, doesn't follow her, doesn't have an emotional conversation with her the way that we've seen him do a couple times with Jack. We just sort of see this moment. And I think that's like effective in terms of characterizing Biddy's relationship with Jack versus Biddy's relationship with Lardo. But it serves, again, to kind of sublimate Lardo's personhood or sort of like Lardo's, you know, emotional experience for the sake of maybe shitty. It's like Biddy's perception is being elevated in a particular way without Lardo's pain being explored. It's like kind of a weird moment that I have a hard time parsing. And I think if we saw more emotional consequences of this moment, we actually saw and learned something about Lardo or something about the relationship between Biddy and Lardo. It wouldn't feel this way, but because it just happens and we just don't get much afterward and it isn't brought up again, it, it feels very like her pain is sort of serving this other confusing purpose. You were talking about Biddy not really following Lardo out and like offering her support or comfort or whatever. Yeah, it is weird the way he says like Lardo and he notices that she's leaving, but the comic just ends there. And I guess it's left to your imagination whether or not he goes, but I think the fact that he's not shown going kind of underscores that it's like not really important. I feel kind of uncomfortable making this observation, but when it comes to like Jack, it seems like Biddy kind of intuits that he needs to take on the more like socially female role 
But then when it comes to like other aspects of his life, he, he's a man. And it's like, why would a man offer emotional support to a woman? Like, it's one thing when it's a more masculine man than you are relationally, but Biddy probably presumes that women are just emotional and she'll figure it out and it's not really his job to intrude. Whereas something about Jack and the way Jack is causes Biddy to want to posture a certain way or like make certain kinds of caring gestures. Whereas he probably doesn't feel the need to like offer care to women. Yeah, and he's never really shown doing so. Right, and it would be easier to figure out whether or not this was a pattern with him if we saw him have relationships with women, but the most we get are a couple interactions with Lardo, his mom, like I think like one or two interactions with Ford that are very brief, and you know, the mention of lesbians. I guess he like talks the queer sports captain whose name I'm completely forgetting and also sport who I'm completely forgetting. Rudy and rugby. Okay, well, I don't care because I don't care about her as a character. I guess he talks to her, but we never see him offer support or like indeed have like deep emotional conversations with any of those people except maybe his mom, kind of. When Lardo is trying to figure out if she should give her dibs to Dex or Nursey, Biddy's like, what's all the ruckus? And Lardo's like, they're fighting over my dibs. And Biddy's basically like, why don't you do a coin toss? So they do. It gets stuck in a crack in the floor so that it's neither heads nor tails. Dex and Nursey then are basically in this chaotic, like, roommate conundrum. And Biddy's just like, them's the breaks. And he leaves. And obviously, like, we'll get to that strip. But yeah, I I mean, it's one moment where he could have helped Lardo proactively fix the problem. He's just basically like, yeah, why don't you flip on it? Uh, Whatever. And then he, like, he's out because he's in the middle of doing something else. Just briefly, let me go into, like, crazy person territory. So I have this whole theory of Biddy's caretaking. You know, I've written a lot of fanfic about it. Don't worry. But basically, I also wonder whether one of the reasons he doesn't feel the need to caretake for Lardo is because, like, what's he going to get out of it? You know? A friend? Ugh. That's no, like, that's nothing. So I wonder if it's not, like, particularly emotionally fulfilling for him in some way, too. But that's a matter of characterization that, you know, just think about it. So a lot of the times over this podcast, meaning check this please, the podcast, you've asked me how I initially read something as I was reading through it the first time. And a lot of the time my answer is, I don't know. But I remember exactly what I made of the ending of this comic. And I've been waiting all podcasts to tell everybody what I thought. And what I thought was on my first reading, What was happening here was that Lardo was upset because Shitty got into Harvard and she ran out crying because the focus was being taken off of her. This was supposed to be her moment at her show and it turned her one night in the spotlight into like celebrating hockey bros again. And she was frustrated that this thing that was supposed to be about her was suddenly actually about Shitty. That was what I presumed the ending of this comic meant. I don't think anybody else has ever read this that way. 
And having seen the rest of the comic now, I am relatively sure that was not what was intending. I think it was just like, oh, she has a crush on Shitty and he's leaving. So she's sad, which is much less interesting. I definitely read it the latter way. And when you brought up this other reading, I was like, oh my God, that's so compelling. (laughs) What a character deepening moment where we finally see Lardo like understanding her place in the world and being complicated about it. So I now have decided that I'm going to read this strip with this lens because even if it isn't what was intended, I find it more interesting, but that's totally not how I saw it until you pointed this out. It's not what's intended and there's no outlet for it elsewhere in the comic. Maybe, maybe a little bit in, I think one of the early strips in year three where I think it's Tango is asking questions and the answer to every question is shitty and Lardo is like that's shitty oh that's also shitty all the next questions you're going to ask the answer is also shitty it's like she has that moment and I think there would have been like room for a really interesting and compelling dynamic she loves him but it's also really frustrating being with this person because he is so the center of gravity all the time and that's a real world relationship dynamic that's worth investigating that said it's not investigated here. We'll talk a little bit more about Shitty and Lardo in the next strip, but it doesn't go much farther than what we see now. I also wanted to move into talking a little bit about the blog post. So Ngozi mentions in the blog post that she's going to conventions and that the Kickstarter's been back. So the comic is really starting to take off in a very serious way, like a very professionally successful way. So the Kickstarter has been talked to death by everybody all the time since it happened. So we're not going to talk about it that much, but I will note that it got $74,290 for a $15,000 goal. And this was part of how Checkley started to get such notice because at the time it was very unexpectedly fulfilled for a comic. And so it made a big splash. Some of those dollars were my dollars. So the phrasing in the in the blog post is update schedule. I hope to update every other week on Mondays. And then the little joke I made was she next posted six months later. This particular comment, Junior Show, is actually an update that came six months after the last update. So we la- we just did Shinny. But there were six months in between Shinny and this comic. And I feel like that break was kind of like a big problem because yes it helped the comics following grow and there was content in that time like there were extras being posted and the kickstarter was going on so like a very i don't know robust fan environment was being fostered but it was also kind of like a fan environment that kind of like grew out of control and and Gozi sort of lost her authority over the text and I think that's fine like personally but I think she really hated that and it just left both a lot of like anticipation and expectations to grow beyond what their actual boundaries were and it also created I think a lot of tension and wink within the fandom because without the text continuing you had people and a vacuum and crazy theories could grow in that vacuum so in some ways it was beneficial for the story but then in other ways I think it helped foster something really negative that ultimately didn't help the comic 
or readers of the comic or indeed the creator of the comic. A couple other things from the blog post is that there were some comments transcribed from members of the hockey team at Lardo's show. And I just want to point out Biddy's comment, which I don't know, are you willing to do this in a Southern accent? I'll give it a shot. It was all very ornate, very original. These artists, you know, I've never been much of an intellectual, to be honest, so I couldn't begin to explain much of the intent, per se, but I loved how interactive parts of the show were. So creative. The art majors here are really something. I love this. I love this comment. This comment is easily 50% of my personal Eric Biddle characterization. The other 50% is from Secrets Fanfic, but uh, anyway... I just think that this is incredible. And I think that this is also like a little bit of the sort of pettiness of Biddy that when people are enjoying his, you know, little ray of sunshine, cinnamon bun, woo stuff or whatever, this element tends to be looked over. So I love this little comment. I think so much is packed in there. Oh yeah. I mean, this is the equivalent of like, bless your heart. This is so shady. He obviously hates all of this. That is what this means. He hates it. He thinks it's pretentious and ridiculous. I don't know, just like, I'm not an intellectual, but like there's, there's something about that idea coming out of Biddy's mouth that just thrills me. Well, it's just like the passive aggressive, the intent per se. It's so good. So creative. It's a very like diminishing way. It's like creative is what you call something that you think is garbage or that you think is gay in like the 1950s. So I really just think that this little moment is like hysterical and such a good piece of characterization. And I also think that it points to some of the self-awareness of the comic that it has at this point, like that Biddy isn't perfect, that the characters are flawed in various ways and that that can come out in in different circumstances. So I I really like that. I also think that that sort of self-awareness that the text seems to have for a while before it loses it eventually comes out in one of the other comments made, which is, it was a really great space for adventurous self-reflection and critical thought. Well, it was until the hockey team showed up, which is a running joke in the comic that SMH is this like horrible disruptive force who are really annoying and self-obsessed and loud and constantly creating like problems everywhere they go. Or alternately that they are like a little too touchy feely and uh, a little dubiously heterosexual if you uh, look at certain groups as well. I just think it like might be useful to talk about a little bit because we just spent several strips talking about perception and fandom. So I'm curious, like, what is, for you, how does this position Samwell men's hockey at Samwell? And then, like, what are we supposed to take away from the fact, obviously it's a joke, but what are we supposed to take away from the fact that people just, like, do not like them? I mean, I wouldn't read into it too deeply. I think it's basically just, like, hockey bros are deeply obnoxious. They have these, like, rituals that make sense in context of hockey, but they're markedly different from like how people comport themselves in other sports and I think it's obvious that like the guys on this team are just like loud and obnoxious and like not really paying attention to like who's around them or what's happening and yeah I mean they're in the middle of this art show huddled in a group 
by themselves shouting and like taking advantage of the open bar not like earnestly engaging in other people's artworks if you read all of the comments that Ngozi transcribes in the blog post, it's like the most positive things that people have to say are, Jack says something blandly encouraging of just like, you know, the boys love supporting what's going on on campus or something like really bland like that. It's like they're, they're happy to go because it's like a party and they do genuinely want to support Lardo, but they're not actually like genuinely interested in like, in engaging with like what's going on at the show and i think these little quote actually underscores this art's not for everyone obviously nobody has to be interested in the visual arts but like you're at college to expand your horizons and to learn how to deal with and like position yourself in terms of like other types of texts that you're not necessarily familiar with. So the fact that Biddy's just like, oh, I don't get this, I'm not an intellectual, and he basically just dismisses it as like creative, and that's the extent to which he's willing to like consider artworks kind of speaks to like a, a real narrow-mindedness. Yeah, I see that. I, I mean, I, I... I do think Biddy is fairly narrow-minded, actually. And I, I think that that comes in, across in the comic, whether always intentionally or not. I also think that this positioning of SMH is sort of like this, isn't it cute that they're so disruptive? Like many things in the comic, I don't think it's like intentional, but it does kind of end up doing this weird thing where there's a very, you know, boys will be boys, forgive them for they know not what they do kind of apologism, I guess, which again, it's like a funny comic about a hockey team who are just loving each other so loudly that they're disrupting this gallery. Like it's fine. It's, it's not that I think this is a purposeful message. It's just something interesting to kind of note and think about when we think about the way that gender is constructed and explored in the comic. That's I also wanted to bring up, I went to go find the tweets because I remembered that Jack's vagina adventure was primarily in the tweets and I wanted to see what they said. Uh, so I will be reading those for you, or maybe you can. Then there was this unexpected ending on the same day of tweets, which I had completely forgotten about, that I think we should maybe just talk about briefly. Well, first, I think we should give context for Jack's vagina adventure. Okay, yeah, probably. So if you read between the lines of both the tweets and what's in the blog post, and you kind of like pay attention to what's in the comic. Underneath the big staircase in the gallery, there is an interactive site-specific installation that is effectively a big pink vaginal or womb-like space that you can basically crawl into. And Jack is the only one who crawls into it. And in the comic, you can see that he has some like, I don't know, like pink yarn or like pink upholstery or something on him from having crawled through this vagina installation. And that fits with all of Lardo's artwork being vaguely sexual and also that boob painting by somebody else also being kind of sexual. So the joke is that all of this college level artwork is just about sex. And I think Dex in the blog post like makes that observation. That's what's happening. Literally Jack crawls into a vagina. 
because he's a trans woman. Okay, you you please read. Everybody go read LG for the Overmedium Egg. Uh, very good pick. Okay, anyway, so there's a bunch of tweets. I'm not going to read all of them. Biddy kind of says, you know, come down to the Ketter Art and Student Center, blah, blah, blah. You can hear Ransom and Holster wax poetic about these installation pieces, blah, blah, blah. And then we get... There's an installation piece under the stairs that's a room of thick, pink, fuzzy carpeting, but you have to crawl through hands to get in. And I'm not messing up my hair. It took me 10 minutes to vanquish this one cowlick I've got at the back of my head. Ugh. Well, Jack's going for it. This boy. And then a couple minutes later, quote, there's a TV in there. Jack Zimmerman on Kendra R's installation piece, pink. Which, there's something very cute and delightful to me about Jack Zimmerman crawling through and then his major artistic comment is there's a TV in there. Well, I think if you didn't know it was a vagina, the fact that it's called pink probably would just seal the deal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do feel like there was some, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure in the sort of Jack Zimmerman sexuality wars, the fact that he willingly crawled into this installation was sort of like proof of his bisexuality. I'm pretty sure I saw that meta. Really? Because to me, it's like the fact that he crawled through it and his comment was there's a TV in there doesn't really underscore that he like got the gist. I mean, I agree with that, but I'm just trying, I cannot remember who wrote this meta or if I, or where I saw it, but I feel like I saw it sometime during the Jack is gay, Jack is bi discussion. This is the problem with like trying to use just like a not very well developed text to assert completely insane things because I think you could also very easily make the case that like the fact that all of the like confirmed heterosexual characters don't want to climb into the vagina because it like means too much to them but then Jack who like doesn't give a shit is just like oh whatever (laughs) you could make that argument too it just means too much to them (laughs) Holster's like I can't I can't I can't go in there Sorry, that just really got me. Okay, and then towards well, you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. It's just it's really- like, it's like the, the three frogs are like standing in front of a not very good or realistic depiction of boobs, transfixed, <laughs> like they can't deal with it. Like they're not gonna crawl into a vagina. They're probably all like hard. Yeah, they're worried if they crawl into the the, the vagina that they'll wreck the installation. I understand. Whereas whereas Jack's general general state of impotence is once again (laughs) only a plus. Once again to the rescue. Well, yeah, see, maybe he's already in a cock cage at this point. He just put it on himself. That would be a violation, wouldn't it? That would be really bad. He would he would have to have some sort of, you know, correction. Perhaps that's even why he did it. I mean, listen, no one said he doesn't know what he wants. Okay, listen, let's move on. A little bit later, uh, on the same day, Biddy tweets, Dex just asked Jack if Kent Parson is coming to his and Shitty's graduation. I'm going to keep flipping these eggs. And then Jack, haha, well, it depends on if the aces make the playoffs. Dex, that's kind of like a win-win, right? For you, Jack, yeah. So like, what is this? What is this interaction? What are we looking at? I kind of don't know. This is weird. I'm not sure what it's 
the post I mean and like the grander context. It is true that like the tweets were written well in advance of the actual strip in many cases. So it's possible that this was just some like extended riff that was supposed to add up to something but never ultimately did. Or maybe this was Ngozi kind of like casually throwing out like reminder tweets about Kent Parsons to keep people like thinking about him. But to my general confusion about what this actually means, you pointed out that it maybe means that like if the Aces win, Dex thinks that's good for Jack because he's friends with Kent, so he would want Kent to do well. But also because he's friends with Kent, if Kent doesn't win, then he can come to Jack's graduation, which would also make him happy because then he can see Kent. But then what you wrote was, of course, what Dex doesn't know is that Jack's secret is that he's always unhappy. And then you responded, Dex's big plan to get invited to a Pim's three-way. So, like, frankly, I think that we're really onto something here. I really think that's all I have to say about this one. I think we're going to roll some of our thoughts about shitty Lardo dynamics into our next episode, which is largely about shitty and Lardo. Indeed, entirely about shitty and Lardo. Yeah, so next time we'll be looking at 47. Wait, that's the no- Hang on. I messed 47 up. is our episode <laughs> number. It's There's no number. It's just called Shitty's Dibs. We're going to be looking at Shitty's Dibs. I tried. See, this is why I'm really bad at the intros and the outros. I <laughs> just fuck up. Anyway, that's all I've got. Who are you? What have we been doing? Oh God. Well, we've been we've been talking about Junior Show, but that's different than who I am. I'm Secret, and you can find me on Tumblr at Camillier, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R, or S-K-R-T-O-M-G, or I'm Familiar on AO3. And I'm Tomato, and you can find me at Tomato underscore Greens on AO3. I said this out of order and I've confused myself, but I'm going to keep going. Or you can find me on Tumblr at tomatorights.tumblr.com and you can find our podcast at checkdispleased.tumblr.com on Podbean and on Spotify and, you know, eventually some other places when I get my shit together, but that doesn't seem to be happening. But someday, that's it! Yeah, well, we'll see you back here next time for No Number Shitty's Dibs. Bye. Bye. Check This Pleased is written, recorded, and produced by Secret and Tomato. Our theme music is by Tomato, and our art is by Nahangan. That was very legit.